0: Well, good morning, church. Hey, potluck after service. Feel free to stay after for tacos and whatever else food is down there. Also, we have a few more of these books left. If anybody hasn't gotten one and they want one, it's the Bible Prophecy the Essentials by Amir Safadi and Barry Stagner. Uh, We have three more on the back counter there, plus this one. Uh, This one's free. I just grabbed it to show it to you. So if you want one of those, grab it. And there goes Eddie interrupting again. (laughs) All right, also, next Sunday, men, men only, men, men only, listen, next Sunday, after service, we're going to be having a men's movie matinee. It's been a while since we've gathered. Uh, So next Sunday, the 29th, after service, we'll provide pizza and whatever else, movie snacks we can get away with. And uh, we'll be watching the uh, war movie. It's called Devotion. And it's about two uh, naval pilots during the Korean War. Uh, It's based on a true story. Other than that, I don't know much more about it. Uh, It's rated PG-13, so bring your young kids. I mean, you know, I'll be bringing my boys uh, to watch it. But it's a war movie, so it's supposed to be really good. It's supposed to be a really good story. So next Sunday... After service. So we are finishing Genesis chapter 8 this morning. Chapter 28 this morning. We're not on chapter 8, trust me. We've gone farther than that. Genesis chapter 28 this morning. Finishing the chapter. We're we're beginning our journey with Jacob. Jacob on the run. We could sing that like a Beatles song or Paul McCartney song. Jacob on I can't do it, sorry. But uh We're stepping into uh, the history of the nation of Israel, Uh, how God created a nation, and we actually stepped into the history of the nation of Israel back in Genesis chapter 12 when we met Abraham. Uh, You know, the first 11 chapters of Genesis are pretty much the history of humanity, and then when you get to chapter 12 on through the end of the book of Genesis, it's been about the creation of a nation, about the nation of Israel. It's about the history of the nation of Israel. To create a nation, God needs three things. He needs people, He needs land, and He needs government, and all those things are starting to you know, form. The land's been promised by God to the descendants of Abraham. God has promised that the descendants coming down through Abraham, through Isaac, and now to Jacob... Uh, will be as stars in the sky. they will be as the sands on the shore, right? So many who can count. And of course, spoiler alert, the creation of the nation comes through Jacob, who will be named Israel, and his sons, of course, who become the tribes of Israel. So we will be with Jacob from now, chapter 28, pretty much to the end of the book of Genesis. Uh, He actually passes away in chapter 49. And there's 50 books, in 50 chapters in Genesis. But we don't need to get ahead of ourselves. <clears throat> so today, let's read about Jacob's letter. Starting in verse 10, chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid. And he said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. And then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God." And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house, and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the power of your word, and I thank you for the fact that your word is living and active, and it speaks to us. It speaks to us right in the middle of the life where we are right now, and it reminds us that you're with us, and that we are not alone. So I thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, that you speak it to us this morning. I thank you for your presence here, Lord, in the midst of us. I pray, Lord, you speak your words to us. So I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So Jacob's on the run. Right? We know the story. All that lying and thievery and trickery and everything going on with Isaac, and Rebecca, and Jacob, and Esau has had the, this unintentional consequence of Jacob having to flee for his life. Rebekah had to send him away. So he's traveling east to his mother's family, to Haran. And this is Abraham's ancestral land as well, if you remember, if you go back. Uh, this is where they stopped after Abraham uh, left the Ur of Chaldeans, uh, where Abraham's father passed away in Haran. That's a roughly a 500-mile journey that Jacob's going to be taking. However, he hasn't gone 500 miles yet, right? He's only gone maybe 70 miles. It's, we esti- estimate it's about a th- he's gone about three days. He's been traveling possibly about three days. I don't know if he's on foot or he's on camel or he's on donkey or if he has anything like that at all, but he took off really quick. And he took off probably in a hurry because his mom was like, you need to leave because your brother Esau is going to comfort himself <laughs> by killing you. So he took off, afraid, right, for his life. It tells us here in verse 10, it says... And Jacob left and went towards Haran, and I want to just give you a, a, an idea of some of the Hebrew here so that you understand the mindset of Jacob, okay? It's a good idea to understand where Jacob is right now mentally as he's running. So this word went, it's a really simple word in the Hebrew. It, it just mean, literally just means to go walk or, you know, to go, something like that. But in the right context, it also can mean to die, Okay? That's just, so you get into the mindset of Jacob. He's, he's leaving, but it's not just like he went on a walk. He's running for his life, and he's fearful of being killed by his brother. And so it says he came to this place, a certain place. Right? And that word for that he came, pagwa in the Hebrew, means that he encountered. He, some translations are he lighted upon. It gives you the idea that he sort of just found it by accident. It wasn't like he was intentionally heading to this place, like he understood the significance of it, or understood that this was a place where Abraham had been. It wasn't anything like that. He just sort of, this is where he's ran into. It's like, it was night, it was getting dark, and he just sort of tripped into this place. Luz. Right? So he may have found it by accident, but I just want to remind you that, that there are no accidents when dealing with God. God does not lead people by chance. Oh, why don't you just go that way and see what happens? Good luck. I don't know, maybe, I don't know, pick any door. I don't care. Roll some dice, see what happens. God doesn't lead people that way. So it may have been an accident for Jacob just to come upon this place. But what's going to happen is nothing accidental. Accidental. Okay, I mean we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps, as it tells us in His Word. So He came to this place. It says it's a certain place, right? What place is it? Well, we know it's it's Luz, but Jacob's going to rename the place Bethel, meaning God's house, right? Bethel. Now Bethel is an important city in the Bible. In the Old Testament, uh, the only city that's mentioned more than Bethel is Jerusalem. It's about 11 miles north of Jerusalem. It's near Ai. Um, it, it would become a major trading center. I mean, It stood at a crossroads. So, so there was a north-south road that was passing through the from Hebron to Shechem. There was an east-west route that went from Jericho to the Mediterranean Sea. And they all passed through Bethel. Bethel would become a, a very important city. And as we know from studying through Genesis, this is where Abraham stopped after, you know, First coming into, actually, the land of Canaan, uh, one of the first places he stopped was Bethel, and he built an altar there, and he called upon the name of the Lord. He was there in chapter 12. He was there in chapter 13. This is the same place, or really close to the same place. It's possible that the altar he built was still standing when Jacob stumbles into this place in the middle of the night. So Jacob may have heard of this place. He may have heard of the stories about Abraham, his grandfather, uh, but he didn't recognize the place. I mean, it's not like Abraham had photos. Right? He didn't have the picture album, didn't pull it out and was you know, talking to him. Here here's the altar I built in, in Luz and here's, you know, here's where I set up my tents. And so he didn't, he didn't recognize the place. It, he, he, it didn't mean anything to him. He didn't understand the significance of where he was and he definitely did not expect to meet God there. Right? As a matter of fact, I don't believe Jacob was expecting to meet God at all. I'm not sure that Jacob was even looking for God. Why do I say that? Well, it says it was dark, right? He stayed there for the night. He's going to go find a pillow, <laughs> a rock. He's going to go find a rock and use it for a pillow, right? The word for, in the Hebrew for him, I mean, we already kind of know his mindset. He's afraid. He's running. He's fearful. He's thinking that maybe his life is over if his brother catches up to him. Comes upon this place and says he stayed there the night. But in the Hebrew, that word for "stayed there the night" that word can also mean grumbled, complain, and murmur. Right? So Jacob stayed there the night, but he stayed there in this mindset of discouragement. Right? He's grumbling, he's complaining, he's talking to himself probably. Well, I can't believe this. I had to leave my home. I'm on the run. My brother's going to kill me. Right? He's discouraged. He's distressed. He's in despair. He's on this emotional roller coaster ride, if you can try to you know, put yourself in his place. He's looking over his shoulder, hoping that Esau is not going to leap out and murder him. And he's alone in the wilderness, probably for the first time in his life, as he was somewhat of a homebody. He's a mama's boy. He never ventured far from the house, as far as we know. And so that 70 miles that he had just traveled was the farthest distance he had ever been away from home. And there he is by himself, alone in the dark, afraid his brother's going to sneak up on him and kill him. And he may have even resigned himself to that fact. I'm going to die. I'm not even going to make it to my mother's homeland. My brother's going to kill me. He wasn't much of a hunter like Esau, if you remember. Esau was the hunter. He may not have even had a, a sword or a knife or a bow with him. I mean, camping was a whole new thing for him. <laughs> uh, he was completely out of his element. He was a fish out of water at this point. He was a stranger in a strange land. He had no idea what he was up against or what he was doing there or anything. Right? It would seem that, that when he left, he didn't even bring a tent or anything. He may have just left with the clothes on his back. He may have had a small little pack with some food and You know, maybe Mm -hmm. his mom gave him some money just in case he came across a place where he could buy some, you know, stuff that he needed. But he's just afraid. I would say that, you know, at least, at least he's suffering from separation anxiety (laughs) because he'd never really been away from home. We understand separation anxiety. It's pretty common in the last couple of years. More and more kids have been coming up with separation anxiety. But here's the thing. The Lord uses separation. Purposefully sometimes separates people so that He can do His will. So that He can uh, proclaim Himself to them. That He can reveal Himself to them so that He can speak to them. The Lord uses separation. Satan... He uses separation too, but he uses it more in an isolation sense. Satan would love to isolate you, get you away. God, often he'll separate you so that he can speak to you. He'll get you out of the mess that you're in so that you can see clearer what he's doing in your life and what he needs to do. So yeah, I I bet Jacob was suffering from, at the least, he was suffering from separation anxiety. he had never been this far away from home. He'd never really been away from his mom like this. I mean, he had 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 it good. He had a good home. His parents were wealthy. He had a nice warm bed probably to sleep in. He probably had a comfy pillow that wasn't shaped like a rock. right? But that was all back at home. Now he was out here in the dark on his own. Up until then, he'd never really had to leave. Leaving home was probably the last thought on his mind. But yet, here he was now. In the dark, alone discouraged, and probably, possibly, like, I'm just going to die. And maybe that's the best thing. It'd be better, maybe, if I just died. Why was he here? Well, he was here because of sin. The consequences of sin, that's why he was here he was separated from everything that he knew and he loved because of the consequences of sin but like i said but god right god uses separation all throughout the bible god uses separation for many different reasons and he uses it in many different ways there's so many different examples throughout the bible one reason that god may separate us from things is to keep us safe to keep us from wrath for example If you want, you can look at the rapture as a type of separation because God is going to separate us. He's going to call us to Him. We're going to meet Him in the air. He's promised that He will come for us so that where He is, we will be also. He's going to separate us from the earth before judgment comes upon the earth, comes upon the ungodly and the unrighteous. So God uses separation to keep us safe, to keep us from wrath. Moses was separated as a baby. His his mom had to send her child down the river to keep him safe in an ark. And then, strange enough, right, the Pharaoh's daughter found him, and then she, without even knowing it was Moses' mom, hires her to take care of Moses. Moses is raised like a prince of Egypt, but then Moses is stupid, and he kills someone. And he gets separated again from his people. They get separated unto God. Forty years he spends in the wilderness, learning how to be a shepherd. So God could speak to him. So God uses separation in many different ways throughout the Bible, right? What it shows is that God has a purpose in the midst of these things. We look at things, we think these are trials and these are tribulations and these are, you know, this is a season I don't necessarily want to go through. This isn't going to be my favorite memory when I look back. But are we looking back and seeing what God was doing in the midst of that? Did we realize God was even there in the midst of that? God had a purpose. Paul, Saul, slash Paul, separated, literally, All right. I mean, he was separated from his job, which was a Pharisee, and his heritage, you could say. Remember how Paul described himself? He said, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee, just like my father before me, right? I'm a zealous persecutor of the church, right? As to the righteousness of the law, I am blameless. That's how Paul described himself. And then God came, and God separated Paul first from his horse, and then he separated him from his sight. And then he spoke to him, And he revealed himself to him. And then later Paul would say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live, right? The life and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You can't say that until God takes you out of the world and brings you to himself. And, of course, one of the major examples we see of God using something like this, of separation, if you want to call it that, is Jesus. Because Jesus was separated from his Father. He said, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? Right? God the Son became separated from God the Father. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, God had a purpose in that. So it's throughout the entire Bible how God uses these things. How he uses separation about how he has a purpose. And it's the same with us. It's the same with our lives. God uses our trials and he uses our tests and he does so for his purpose, for his will. And he has a purpose with what he's about to do here with Jacob. Why? Because it would seem that Jacob needs to come to the Lord. It would seem that Jacob needs to come to the Lord. Why do I say that? I say that Jacob does not have a personal relationship with God right now. But he's about to get one. Right? He's about to come to the Lord. But the Lord needed to remove him first, remove him from his home, remove him from his family. The Lord needed to separate him from the temptations to sin which were so seemingly prevalent in his household. Even though it was a godly household. Isaac and Rebecca. They'd sort of fallen away at the end there. Jacob needed to be separated from the world and he needed to be separated unto God. See, Jacob knows God. He's heard of God. He knows of God. He, he was, his father is Isaac. His grandfather is Abraham, the father of faith. He knows God. But he doesn't know God personally. It's just the God of his father. It's the God of his grandfather. It's the God of Abraham. It's the God of Isaac. You can't inherit your salvation through your DNA. right? Your parents can't leave it to you in your will. You need to decide to follow the Lord on your own. It's a personal choice you need to make. Jacob hasn't necessarily made that choice yet, to follow the Lord. And so when we're distracted and we're surrounded by the chaos and the noise of the world, we can't hear God. Matter of fact, we probably aren't even looking for God. Uh, our eyes are all just, you know, distracted by everything else around us. A personal relationship with the true and living God is like one of the farthest things from our mind at that point. Yet when God is calling you, He will do what He needs to do to get your attention. One way or another, right? When we get comfortable, listen up, When we get comfortable, when we get complacent in our worldly lives, God will unsettle us. God will shake things up for us. He will take us out of our comfort zone. And he possibly, possibly he will separate us, take us out of the current situation that we're living in. He will interrupt our lives and he will reveal himself to us so that we surrender our lives fully to him. Right? In our testimony, when we look back at our relationship with the Lord, we call that a come to Jesus moment. It's different for everyone. We could spend the next couple of hours ever going over everyone's testimony. Everyone has a different come to Jesus moment. For some people, this moment is a serious trial. It's a serious test. For some, it's just an eye-opening experience, and for others, it it just comes from the simple recognition of learning the truth concerning Jesus and who Jesus is, and your need for salvation. Someone prays for you. Someone shares the good news with you. Someone shared the love of Jesus with you. But for others, it takes a really drastic experience. Some for some people, it's a trial by fire. This experience, right? And you and you might be able to speak into that as part of your testimony. So what we're reading this morning here, this little simple passage about Jacob, this, you know, sleeping and having this dream about a ladder coming down from heaven, is Jacob's coming to God moment, right? This is Jacob being born again. This would be a life-changing experience for Jacob. He's about to meet God in a very personal way. So here he is. He's arrived at Luz, down on his luck, dragging his heels, fearful, lonely, grumbling, exhausted, probably has that woe is me, I just want to lie down and die attitude, finds that rock, he lays down, he goes to sleep, and immediately, boom, right? God interrupts his pity party. God shows up through a dream. It says, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. This is important. I want to clarify this. The ladder came down from heaven to the earth. It was not built from the earth up to heaven. That would be something like the Tower of Babel. This is not the Tower of Babel, right? This is a ladder that came down from heaven, that God himself right, reached down to earth with. And Jacob sees it in his dream. There's angels going up and down the ladder, and at the top of the ladder, the Lord is standing. And the Lord speaks to him. And he tells him, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac. Right? He basically reiterates the promise That Jacob's probably been told over and over again. That he was was told it was going to be his. That his father blessed him with before he left. He reiterates that promise with him. He tells him, right, the land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. The offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. What an amazing dream to have, right? The Lord reminds him of his promises and of his blessings. The Lord tells Jacob that he's not alone, that God's with him, and that God's going to see him through, and that God's going to keep him. That means keep him safe, right? Wherever he goes, he says, I'm not going to leave you until I've done what I've promised. This is very similar to like what we're told in Philippians. Right, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what he's basically being told by God. What an amazing dream! What an amazing vision to have! Right, it was an awesome, impressive, and an encouragement, encouraging promise from God to Jacob. And Jacob wakes up. I mean, I would wake up after a dream like that too. I'd probably sit straight up in bed, like, whoa, right. And he says, the Lord was in this place and I didn't even know it. Which is what tells me that he was never even looking for God. He didn't think God was going to be there. That was the last thing from his mind. To him, God probably was confined somewhere. We always have this idea that God's confined. Maybe pagan gods, right? Pagan gods are confined to that little statue on the shelf. Pagan gods are confined to a mountain somewhere. And you have to climb up and go through trials to figure out how to get to them. But not God, not the true and living God. He's with you everywhere. It's very similar to what David said in Psalm 139.7, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? The difference is that when Jacob says this, as compared to David, for example, Jacob has this wrong idea, actually. His, His views are still a little erroneous as far as He's early. He's an infant in this relationship with God, which is perfectly fine. God takes him, right? God when you first come to God, you didn't know everything about the Lord. You didn't know everything about his word. Jacob doesn't either. Jacob's like, "Wow! I've stumbled upon the house of God. This is amazing. There's a stairway to heaven right here." In laws, I didn't know it was here. This is remarkable. I'm going to call this place Bethel, the house of God. I'm going to build a little altar here. This is crazy. As if God could be confined like that. As if God only was in one spot. And he just happened to trip and stumble and find it. Right? Jacob's statement actually shows a little bit of immaturity in his relationship with the Lord because he's new in his relationship with the Lord. He didn't expect God to be there. And then he's scared. He's also scared. He's fearful. He's like, holy cow. This is a little frightening, actually, now that I think about it. God's here. This is kind of scary. So like I said, he comes to some erroneous conclusions concerning God. He thinks he's right here in this one place that somehow there's just this stairway to heaven and that God's confined to a certain area. But God's not limited to a place. So we, what we see is that Jacob still has a lot to learn, but that's okay. So do we. That's your sanctification. Right? You're going to grow up into the knowledge of the Lord. You don't get it all immediately. It's not like the Matrix. He just doesn't download it to your brain instantaneously and all of a sudden you know how to fly a chopper. Right? It's, it's not like that. You grow into your relationship with the Lord. And so he's growing into his relationship with God. God has revealed himself to Jacob now. and Jacob's like, oh, man, this is not like I thought. But Jacob tries to make, make a deal. Just so you understand, Jacob, in his promise to the Lord, and it says that he's making a vow, in his vow to the Lord here, Jacob's actually trying to make a deal with God. He's like, okay, I love the promise you gave me. Now, if you will do that... If you will do that, I, you will be my God. Right? If you protect me and you give me food and you give me clothes and you see me to where I'm going and you see me back, we got a deal. You'll be my God. God's like, I wasn't going to do all that for you regardless of what you said. Right? I promised it to you. I'm going to fulfill my promises. It has nothing to do with your reaction. You could have run off screaming into the night. Wah! And I still would have done it. Because I'm God. Right? And I love you. So Jacob has a lot to learn. He makes an altar. He pulls oil over. it. I'm going to call this place Bethel. You're going to be my God if you do all those things that you promise. God's like, I love you, Jacob. Even if you haven't learned everything yet, that's okay. We've got time. right? I mean, Jacob's got some growing to do. He's got some wrestling to do, actually. That'll come. We're not there yet but he understood one thing. There's a quote from Spurgeon. And it says that the God of Bethel is a God who does concern himself with the things of earth. Not a God who shuts himself up in heaven, but a God who has a ladder fixed between heaven and earth. And that's kind of what, that's what Jacob came to a recognition about. He came to this recognition that, wait a minute, God's not stuck up in heaven. God's here. He's here with me. In the midst of what possibly were the worst days of Jacob's life up to this point. God became real to him. Right? And, and though he came into the land in despair. He's going to leave the land with hope. Right? And though he's still, like I said, is going to need to wrestle with God over a few things. His life has forever been changed now. Because he's entra- encountered the true and the living and the eternal God. Jacob's going to leave Bethel a changed man. Not a perfect man. (laughs) Not by any means. But he's going to leave a changed man because he encountered God. I mean, life's not going to be easy for him in the days to come. But Jacob's going to learn to depend on God's promises and put his faith in God's promises. He already had in a sense, put his faith in God's promises. He just didn't understand that yet. hadn't understood it. Because everything that had been promised to him by his father, Isaac, when he passed the blessing on down to Jacob, was stuff that Isaac didn't have. That hadn't happened yet. That wasn't wasn't here. And for you to accept that blessing and accept that that's going to happen, that takes faith because you can't see it. You don't know what's going to happen. So he'd already, by faith accepted a lot of the promises but now his faith is going to grow because he had met God now he had met God now now there's a couple things that you can take with you from this and the first thing that you should understand is that the latter the latter is Jesus alright The latter is Jesus. If you go to John chapter 1, there's a very interesting story. It's actually an episode of The Chosen that deals with this. If you want to go look it up, I think it's season 2. And it's when Philip calls Nathanael to come see Jesus. It says, now Philip, uh, this is John chapter 1 verse 44. It says, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom moses in the law and also the prophets wrote jesus of nazareth the son of joseph and nathaniel said to him can anything good come out of nazareth and philip said to him come and see so philip went with him i mean nathaniel went with him so jesus saw nathaniel coming toward him and he said of him behold an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel was like, oh, What? How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Well, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, he said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. See, that was Nathaniel's come-to-Jesus moment. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And then Jesus says to him this. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. (laughs) Jesus told him, I am the ladder that reaches from heaven to earth. Something possibly Nathaniel might have even been meditating on, or reading while he was under the tree, or at least something he knew specifically what Jesus was saying when Jesus said it. He encountered the true and the living God. Jesus told him, listen, Nathaniel, I am the ladder. Right? I am the link between heaven and earth. I'm the, I'm the real ladder by which the gulf between earth and heaven is bridged. And listen, the purpose of that ladder has never changed. Jesus is the way to heaven. He does not show us a way. He is not one of many ways. He is the only way. He is the way. That's what Jesus says, right, in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus is the latter. And with that, we can stand firm, therefore, in his promises. With that, we can be assured with our faith in Jesus that he is with us. Right? doesn't matter. I mean, this is really what I want you to take with you in the midst of whatever journey you're on right now, in the midst of whatever season you're going through, whatever difficulties you're going through, financial, health, whatever. I mean, there's so many different things that we're going through. We can take heart and we can be encouraged by the fact that God is with us. In the midst of whatever is going on. He will always, always, always be with you. Even when and where you least expect Him. He's, it tells us He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He never has. He never will. You don't need to be surprised like Jacob was. You don't need to be surprised that God is there, right? You don't need to go, oh, man, I didn't know God was here with me. You don't need to have that moment. There should never be a time in your walk with the Lord where you go, "Ah, I didn't know you were here. You should always know he is here. That he is with you. You don't need to invite him in. He's here. He's here. You invite him in when you put your faith in Christ. And with that, he is with you forever and ever. And you will be his forever and ever. I tell you so that you can understand one thing is that, and that what it, is that you need to be aware of God in your life. You need to be aware of God in your life. You need to be aware that whatever you're going through, no matter how tough it is at the moment, wait a minute, I'm not alone. I'm not going through this alone. We're not going through this alone, right, as a family or whatever. We're not going through this alone. We're, God's with us. God's with us. He's here. Be aware of God in your life. And if you're not aware, if there are times that you're not aware, for whatever reason it might be, ask God to give you the ability to know that He is with you, to remind you that He is with you. Because God will remind you that He is there. Because we do forget. We forget things. There's one thing we should never forget, <laughs> that God is with us, we forget. Because we get busy, right? There's things to do, there's bills to pay, there's children to chase. We get busy, we forget. So just ask God to remind you, God, I know you're here with me, remind you, remind me that you're here with me, and he will, he will remind you that he is here with you. And He will remind you in such a way, it could bring you to tears. And it could put you on your knees. But then at least you'll know. And you'll be reminded, yes, I'm not alone. God's with me. Recognize that Jesus is with you, that Jesus leads you, and that whatever you're going through, whatever He is doing in your life and through your life, has a purpose. It's not just by chance. He's not just rolling dice and seeing where it lands. Oops, you got snake eyes. Sorry for you, right? It's not like that with God. Here's the thing God, like I said, God will take you out of certain situations, He will remove you from things. He may physically move you, but He has a purpose in what He does. You may need to come out of that situation. You may need to leave that job. You may need to move. But he has a purpose. It's not punishment. God's with you. So no matter what, recognize that Jesus is with you. Be aware of God in your life because he hasn't abandoned you. And hadn't abandoned Jacob. It's not based on your knowledge. It's not based, if you've memorized the entire Bible or not, it's not based on anything like that. You may have erroneous <laughs> ideas about God as well. And he's like, fine, bring them. We'll clear that up on the way, right? But I'm with you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm with you. Joshua 1.9 Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Or Psalms 46.7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He will keep you. So really simple, just make time for God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord I thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement and the strength that comes from it. I pray, Lord, that you do that in our lives. I pray for everyone who's here and all those watching online who can't be here today. Lord, remind them that you're with them, that you are with them. That you have not left them, that you're with them. I pray, Lord, that you just help us do that. Help us just reflect on the truth that you are with us. There's no need for us, Lord, to be surprised like Jacob. Wow, I didn't know God was here. We should know God is here with us all the time and be encouraged and strengthened by that. I pray, Lord, that you just continue to do that. I pray, Lord, you just continue to draw us closer to you, draw us into your word. And I pray, Lord, that you just continue to let us be a light in the darkness and shine for others so that we can point them to the only way the way, the truth, and the life, we can point them to Jesus. I thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.